the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. According to the Identity Theft Resource Center, 47% of U.S. consumers surveyed experienced identity theft in 2021. Joining us today to talk about how you can improve your digital safety is Mark Pribish, Vice President and ID Theft Practice Leader with Merchants Information Solutions. Mark has 30 years of experience in ID theft and cybersecurity. Welcome, Mark. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome, and thanks for having me. So, Mark, that is an alarming statistic, 47% of Americans. Who is most at risk for identity theft? So it's really interesting. The Federal Trade Commission, or FTC, comes out with an annual report every year, and this identity theft and fraud report will identify identity theft victims by age. And depending on the demographic, uh, it's typically young adults, or the mature market, 50 and older, that are the most impacted by identity theft. You say that it's important for people to practice consumer risk management. What does that mean? How does that apply to these two demographics that you just described? So businesses have risk managers, and they have a risk management practice. As individual consumers, we should be taking the time to educate ourselves and be up-to-date on the latest trends, identity theft trends, and scams that affect uh, us individually and our family members and our friends. The big three challenges that people have, that consumers have today, are phishing, vision, and smishing. And everyone pretty much knows what phishing is when we receive a fake email by a fraudster who's trying to have you or me give up personal information. That fraudster via email might pretend to be your or my bank. And they might be saying in an email, we've detected a regular activity with your credit card and we need to confirm that everything's okay. And it's really interesting, as educated and aware with all the headline news about identity theft and data breach, at the time you and I receive a certain email or a certain voicemail or a certain text, and by the way, smishing is a text, and vising, V-I-S-H-I-N-G, is a voice, a live voice call or voicemail. But when, we're, when you and I receive from our bank or our insurance, health insurance company, uh, an email, a text, or a voicemail, or a live phone call saying, we've detected something that's not right. Typically, we think that we're smart enough to know if something is fraudulent or not. But these fraudsters are so real and so good at what they do, we tend to give up personal information because we want to prevent that irregular activity on our credit card account from happening. I know what you mean when you say they're very good, because I like to believe that I am educated 
in this area and I'm, and I'm a little bit, you know, a little savvy technologically speaking, but every time I get those text messages or phone calls, I'm pretty good with the emails, but when I get the phone call, for a moment I have to stop and, and really think, is this true or not? Because it does sound so legitimate. And, and, and the FBI will tell you <clears throat> that education is the number one factor in helping mitigate you and me from becoming a, a victim of identity theft. But what fraudsters count on, for, it's really interesting. Human nature is amazing. And most people want to help others. Most people are trusting. But also, most people, depending on the situation, desperation can be a risk factor. So let's go back two years ago when COVID first hit this country. When COVID first hit this country, people were looking for testing sites. People were looking for to register for a vaccine. And desperation, the emotion of wanting to get a shot or wanting to get tested, motivated individuals to go. They were just Google free testing sites or free shot sites. And the FBI said there were 150 fake websites out there that if you Googled a website and found a particular website, now all of a sudden you're giving up your personal information, your name, address, and cell phone number to confirm your appointment. And then all of a sudden the fraudsters have your and my personal information, but there was really no location for that free shot or that free test. So it's really amazing. Uh, Fraudsters depend on us to be trusting, but they also take advantage of desperation. Another example of trust is current world affairs with Ukraine. There are charities and fundraising on websites all over where people can give money to help uh, the situation in Ukraine, and yet fraudsters are setting up these websites because we want to help and we trust. So, Mark, in these different scenarios that you just described to us, how do we protect ourselves? I mean, I know when I get an email, the first thing I do is check the email address of the sender, and you can usually see that it's not legitimate from just doing that. But what things do you advise? And let's start with the general things, and then we'll move over to the fundraising-type scams. So typically, your bank will never call you to ask you your um username and password. And a very, a very typical scenario is a senior. Seniors and elderly are targeted. Young adults are targeted. Young adults don't have life experience. And seniors, uh, they being older and trusting, they receive a phone call and are being asked for their personal information. Banks and government agencies like the Social Security Administration, banks and government agencies will never contact you or me or any consumer and ask for personal information over the phone. And what what someone should do is just simply hang up. And if they believe there was any legitimacy to that particular call or email or text, they should never respond, but they should instead search the legitimate number for that their bank and call the bank and say, I just received a phone call from you saying I have irregular activity on my credit card and you were asking me for my username and password. Was that you? And typically the answer is no. Banks, government agencies, and other legitimate organizations that consumers have a relationship with, they will not call you asking you for your personal information. Is it always a good idea for us to take advantage of whatever monitoring services a bank or credit card company may have available to us? So, you know, this is interesting. For transparency reasons, I'm in the identity theft business, and my company is in the business of offering a consumer solution to help consumers um, monitor their credit or monitor the dark web. And... I have to say that the industry that I'm in is not regulated. So when identity theft companies are telling consumers to pay 10 to $20 a month for some type of a 
credit monitoring solution, consumers need to be aware of a couple of things. The first thing is credit monitoring cannot prevent identity theft. The second thing is credit monitoring cannot resolve uh, identity theft. Credit monitoring is simply uh, an alert that something has happened. And so a lot of times people sign up and pay for services on a monthly basis, but thinking they're taken care of. They're, they're not going to become a victim of ID theft. But instead, it creates a false sense of security. And go back to that Federal Trade Commission report that comes out each year that highlights statistics of actual consumers who become victims of identity theft and fraud. And depending on upon the year of of the report that it's released, and I think the reports come out for the last 20 years, depending on the year, up to 50% of all ID theft victims may not have anything to do with a financial-related event. So depending on the report, half of ID theft victims are related to a financial event, your bank account, your checking account, your auto loan, home loan. But the other half of ID theft victims in the U.S., and these are actual victims of ID theft, are victims of ID theft that are not related to identity theft. So, for example, taxpayer ID theft and refund fraud. That sounds like a financial event, but credit bureau monitoring has nothing to do with identifying irregular activity and sending you an alert. Credit bureau monitoring has nothing to do with the IRS. And then another example is medical ID theft or credential ID theft, your driver's license, my passport. When someone takes our health care insurance information or when someone uh, steals our driver's license or passport, credit bureau monitoring has nothing to do with any of that. So, for example, every January I go on a diet. Every February, my wife says, how's that working out for me? And in my case, when I ask people, how many of you, when I speak publicly, how many of you are paying for some type of a monthly service or credit bureau monitoring? Half the people raise their hand. And when I explain to them that half the time, identity theft has nothing to do uh, with a financial event, and I ask them, how's that credit bureau monitoring working out for you? And they all laugh and have a good chuckle. But with this serious subject, credit bureau monitoring is a great resource. It's great to serve as an alert, but it's a false sense of security as it relates to preventing identity theft. And a lot of people think uh, the opposite. They think once they have a monitoring service, they're taken care of. But how do we go about preventing it, Mark? I mean, we hear about these big data breaches like when a T-Mobile or a large corporation gets breached and our information is then stolen, we didn't have anything to do with that. So how do we protect ourselves? We are approaching the four-year anniversary of the Equifax data breach event. Equifax experienced a data breach event in July and August, four years ago this July. And they came out in September, six weeks later, to announce they experienced a hacking event, a breach event. And a hundred in the U.S., there's 330 million individuals, 165 million adults. And in the Equifax data breach event alone, 148 million affected individuals had their names and social security numbers stolen. So there's a very, very high chance you, me, and your listeners are one of those 148 million people where our names and social security numbers are out there forever. And then let's fast forward it to the T-Mobile breach that you just referenced. T-Mobile experienced a breach event last August. And by the way, it was their fourth breach event in the last six years. And this breach event was 100 million people. So 100 million names and social security numbers. And it's really amazing that um, you and I will experience this for life. Our information is out there for life. So how do we mitigate our exposure to identity theft when large organizations that have your and my personal information have our information that's lost or stolen? I always try to tell people to protect your personal privacy, to protect your online identity. You should minimize your activity on social media. You should 
with password management, a lot of people are always interested in, you know, having a password that's long and complicated. I say you should have a sentence that a phrase that's easy to remember. So instead of instead of um, having a password that's hard to remember, think of a sentence. I'm from Hillsborough, New Jersey, 1959, and that's my phrase for this month, this quarter, this year. And the second ad- advice I have is when we have usernames and passwords, we should be changing them every year, and we should have multiple passwords and usernames each year because a big part of what is being stolen and traded and sold on the dark web are your and my usernames and passwords. Mark, you've used the term before and you just said it again, dark web. Can you explain what the dark web is? So I'm a very visual person. So I think the best way to describe the dark web is an iceberg. And so the tip of the iceberg is what I call the surface web. And the tip of the iceberg or the surface web is where you and I and most consumers go to do a Google search and a Yahoo search and a news search and a whatever search. So that's the tip of the iceberg is the surface web. Then just below the iceberg is what we call the deep web. And the deep web typically are academic databases and medical records and legal documents and scientific research and government reports. But then we have what's called the dark web or the deep dark web. And the dark web are where the fraudsters are buying, selling, and trading your and my personal information. And a lot of a part of the dark, dark web deals with illegal activities and drug trafficking and uh, political protests and nation states. So if you have that visual of the tip of the iceberg, just below the iceberg, and then the deep dark web, that is essentially the dark web. And so you asked about monitoring a few minutes ago, credit bureau monitoring. And by the way, I encourage anyone to sign up for credit bureau monitoring if it makes them feel confident and comfortable. I know I do and my wife does, and my adult children do. So as much as I said credit bureau monitoring has a false sense of security and it doesn't prevent identity theft, it's still a tool and resource to have because the purpose is to send you and me alerts that something has changed, something is happening. And so now it's up to us to confirm what that alert was and was that me opening up that credit card or was that me changing my home address. Well, dark web monitoring is another form of monitoring and another proactive way of mitigating your and my risk of identity theft. Dark web monitoring is a way to monitor if your and my name or home address or driver's license number, our phone numbers, because our cell phone numbers, which are traded and sold on the dark web, our cell phone numbers are what I call the next or the new social security number. It's the new identifier. You had mentioned before with our social security number, and now it's even more heightened, the threats with the cell phone numbers, as you just explained. When our social security number or our cell phone number ends up on the dark web, and and you said it probably will happen to most of us and it's forever, what do we do then? So there's very little any of us can do related to information that's been lost or stolen. You know, in the old days, you would see commercials on identity theft service provider commercials about a hacker going after your or my personal information or a hacker going into the garbage can to find that mail that we tore up. That is the way it used to be. But hackers and fraudsters learned very quickly that going after your and my information is, uh, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's a lot easier to go after databases of information. So think of every organization that you and I and your listeners have ever been a part of. Think of every job we've ever worked at. Every job we've ever worked at, most of us have, have had health insurance. In order to have health insurance, 
you have to give up the social security number of you, your spouse, your children. And so every relationship we've had, uh, for all of us who've bought a car and financed that car, we gave up our social security number at an auto dealership. We've had health insurance. We've had to give up our social security number. <clears throat> we've had applied for a job. We've had to give up our social security number because typically at a job, there's a pre-employment search of our credit or our criminal record. Uh, think of every doctor, every dentist. I can go on and on. But think of every relationship we've had where we've given up our personal information. So what can we do about it? There's very little we can do about where our information is or if our information has been stolen because of a breach event. But what we can do to mitigate our exposure to identity theft is to limit how often, and I said this earlier, how often we are on social media. How often, in fact, here's a question I ask a lot of people. Every app that we have on our smartphone has permissions, and we had to give permissions and agree to those permissions in order to get that app. Most of the time, we are agreeing to permissions that we have no knowledge of. And most of the apps we have track our information, they track our purchases, they track our searches, they even track where we are, geo-tracking, and there's Wi-Fi tracking. And even the use of our cell phone, smartphone, has a microphone, and there's eavesdropping. Marketers do a lot of different things with great intention, but yet the information they're collecting and selling to third parties all put us at risk. So we need to manage and mitigate how often we're using apps, and we need to read the terms and conditions of those apps. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. As I said in the beginning, we put so much emphasis on maintaining our emotional and physical health, but it really is time that we start to pay more attention to our digital health. So you gave us a wealth of information today, and I look forward to having you come back on the show. Thanks for having me. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path. Personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. Joining us for this week's To Your Health is Dr. John Varboro, the Chief Medical Officer at Bergen Newbridge Medical Center. Dr. Varboro is also an Assistant Professor at Rutgers, New Jersey Medical School and the Chief Medical Advisor to Bergen County in New Jersey, acting as Medical Director for all county public health programs. Welcome, Dr. Varboro. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Doctor, COVID has brought many challenges for all of us, and now two years later, many people still think that the only health condition that exists these days is COVID, so they put all of their other health concerns on the back burner. What are you seeing now? Are people starting to get their routine physicals and screenings? Yes, people are starting to come back finally, and it's very important to do so, obviously, uh, even throughout COVID, it's important to stay on top of all of your general health maintenance and all of your health in general, um, because without that, even even with COVID, uh, if you're, you're not taking care of everything else, you're going to have medical issues. But it, it, it's very important uh, to stay on top of your health in general, uh, especially now as we're moving more towards an endemic state of COVID. Um, it's very important to catch up on anything you might not have gotten in the intervening time. Because prevention or early detection did not take place, are, are you seeing a rise in certain illnesses like cancer or heart disease? Yeah, but in heart disease in particular, I think we've we've definitely seen some increases. I'd have to see what the overall numbers are throughout, um, you know, broadly. But I think it's it's pretty clear that people have put off doing a lot of their screenings. It's it's actually interesting to look at general numbers because if people aren't checking for them. Um, we might not know of things that are brewing there. So it actually can sometimes be a little misleading to look at the overall numbers. But I think as people come back, you're going to see uh, a discovery of some stuff that, that's probably been, been sitting there undiscovered. Well, and as you said, you know, it's really important to get these screenings because you want to detect these things early for the best outcomes. 
Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole point of, of screening in general and to identify problems before they become problems and to be on top of them and be ahead of them. So obviously it's, it's extremely important to, to do all of the normal screenings and anything that you might have missed over the intervening years, whether that's your regular physical, uh, regular screening test, depending on your age and, and gender and, and any other uh, risk factors you may have, and also any other general health maintenance things that are needed uh, up to date on other vaccinations outside of COVID, things like that. We heard so much throughout the pandemic about the importance of having a strong immune system and comorbidities that were leading to more severe disease. What would you like us to take away from that experience regarding our health? What should we be doing on a daily basis to achieve optimum health? Oh, that's a, that's a, a, a big <laughs> kind of broad question. Um, I think it, it's all of the, the stuff you would normally do. Obviously, you, you know, depending on your age, you know, you should be getting, well, you should be getting yearly physicals, but depending on your age, you might need certain screening tests, whether that's you know, a yearly EKG or certain blood work or blood pressure checks or checks for for diabetes or tests like colonoscopies if you're over a certain age. It's not yearly, obviously. Um, mammographies for women between certain age ranges, um, all of that kind of stuff. And then obviously all the other usual things, um, you know, good diet, eating, healthy, exercising, uh you know, drink, keeping yourself hydrated, all of the, the usual stuff that doctors tell you to do that you haven't heard so much the last couple of years, you probably should be doing all along. And I think it's important, doctor, for us to make sure that we're teaching our children to do these things because we have a, a childhood population where the kids are more overweight, they're more sedentary. So we need to teach them how to eat properly and exercise and move. 100%. And in particular, that that's really been exacerbated these last few years because we spend so much time isolated that we've, you know, kids have not been as active as they normally would have been. Um, you know, again, fortunately, they're, they're doing that a lot more now. But, uh, but yeah, we, we definitely need to reinforce it because, you know, we've, we've kind of had to put the world on hold for a while. And now we have to kind of catch up and, and do all the back teaching and modeling of behaviors that we hadn't been doing these last couple of years, in full at least. Uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully we've been doing some of it. I have young children myself, so hopefully we've been getting through some of it. But obviously it's, it's been harder. And maybe if we have to look at the silver lining from this situation, maybe it is a wake-up call for all of us to take better care of ourselves. Oh, absolutely. Again, that, that's probably one of the big lessons of the pandemic, right, is that, you know, if you had, obviously, you could get very sick, even if you didn't have underlying conditions, but if you had them, it, the risks were just much greater. And that's true of any medical condition. Um, so it's just, it's really important to to take care of yourself, to, to stay on top of everything. And like we said, to eat healthy, uh, exercise, do all of those things. You had mentioned earlier that we're transitioning from pandemic to endemic. Do you think that that's happened yet? Not fully, but we're getting there. Uh, you know, when we're in an endemic state completely, um, you know, that that's things like, uh, not to get overly technical or sciencey, um, mm -hmm. you know, there, there's been a lot of pandemics in history, actually. It, you know, there's been about one every hundred years, give or take. You know, there's the one everybody's quoted is the 1918 flu, but that's part of the seasonal flu mix. And flu is endemic now, right? So it's always there, but there are times when it's a bigger risk and times when it's a lesser risk, right? And because of that, we we get flu shots and do certain things during flu season that we don't do during other parts of the year. Um, whether or not COVID becomes seasonal is 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 a question that's not yet answered, but it very well might just because we know that ventilation is such a big effect on it. So when you're indoors more, um, you're more likely to, to catch it. But as you're seeing with some of these current like little bump ups with things like the, the BA2 subvariant, you know, the fact that we're getting a, a, a potential wave, not a wave, it's not because this is not a wave. Uh, we're not seeing one, at least not here in, the, in New Jersey or in, in this part of the United States. Um, but even when we're seeing bump-ups outside of the quote-unquote normal season, that means we're not quite en endemic yet, but we're getting very close to it, and, and we're getting close to modeling it, and, and we're moving in that direction. So, you know, I think it's it's wise to start almost behaving like we're moving towards endemic situations and then just make slight adjustments if there's a, a small bump or, or a change and, and really just more treat it like an endemic situation. Um, so we're not exactly there yet. My guess is eventually we'll... We'll have a, a COVID, we'll be part of the cold and flu season, you know, um, 
but it, it's still a little more serious than that, and it's still a little a little less controlled than that, but but it's getting close. And like you said, there are things we can do, and, and at the top of the list, it's taking care of our health. Eating right, exactly. exercising, getting enough sleep, and getting those screenings and, and everything we can do to, to maintain a healthy, happy lifestyle. A- absolutely, 100%. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more, you can visit newbridgehealth.org. Again, doctor, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This is WNYF, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Our next guest, Adora Winquist, helps people heal on a physical, emotional, and energetic level. In her book, Detox, Nourish, Activate, Adora offers a visionary approach to empower us on the path of self-discovery and self-mastery. Welcome, Adora. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much, Joan. So, Adora, let's start off by talking a little bit about you and your work. How did you get started on this healing journey? Sure. Um, So I started my healing practice in my first business back in 1998. Um, So when many of these philosophies of working with essential oils for holistic healing and spiritual growth and working with vibrational medicine or energy healing, if you will, were not uh, certainly mainstream or common day practices. Uh, But for me, I found great resolution, relief, and personal transformation in my own healing journey. And, you know, I used to suffer from bronchitis every year from allergies. I would be sick for weeks at a time as a child. And then when I left home to move to California from upstate New York, um, the, my allergies really kicked up there and then also moving to Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Everywhere that I moved to, my allergies could get a little bit more difficult. And I didn't have health insurance and I didn't have a lot of money. But I did hear about herbs. So I went and bought a book and five different herbs and I made a tea and was amazed by how quickly I healed. Uh, my respiratory system. In fact, that tea, I've had so many people ask me for that recipe through the years, it's actually included in the book. Uh, so for those that have had a, a similar challenge with bronchitis or respiratory issues, it can be incredibly helpful. Um, but working with teas and then making tinctures and all sorts of remedies finally brought me to essential oils, which are the most potent form of plant medicine. And once I found them, I just knew that it was going to become the passion for the rest of my life. Um, Around the same time, I also found Reiki, which is one of the early modalities of energy healing. And for my own personal journey of healing, because I had been challenged with depression and anxiety since early adolescence, Um, I thought, well, this is really an incredible opportunity here. I'm going to start applying some of these aspects of energy medicine to myself, and I could see how my own emotional nature um, was able to shift, and I was able to find relief. So I thought, what would happen if I combined energy medicine with essential oils? And then my first business was born, and and now many, many businesses – later of both products and services and even uh, creating and building one of the first national award-winning aromatherapy brands. Uh, So it's been an incredible journey from not only my own personal healing perspective, but working with thousands of clients and customers and gosh, hundreds of thousands of customers around the world. I am a newbie when it comes to understanding and learning about energy medicine. I I remember it was a couple of years ago when I had my first Reiki experience. And I remember I felt like a different person. And and I called up the Reiki practitioner and I said, I don't know what you did to me, but, you know, I don't understand it. But what a difference. So can you explain to our listeners a little bit about energy in our body and chakras and why we need to clear these blocks? Absolutely. Um, Because I think this is such an important, uh, important part of the healing journey and coming to an understanding that everything is vibration. Everything that we've experienced 
in our lives. And, and let's just take this down to the cellular um, particle level for a moment, because I think this is where it's going to make a great point of connection with your listeners. So everything that we have ever experienced in our lives, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, is imprinted upon ourselves, right, through our genetic code, through our DNA. So everything that's ever happened to us since the moment of conception. Now, if that's not enough of a miracle, everything that our parents have experienced, our mother and our father, um, and their mothers and their fathers, all the way through the lines, uh, lineage, heritage, is also held within each of ourselves. And because we are these multifaceted uh, beings, our cells actually project out our energy field. And why is that? You know, so many people refer to humans as light beings. Well, it, it's actually rooted in quantum physics because our cells communicate to each other through biophotons, which is essentially light. So imagine trillions of cells in your body communicating to each other through light and then emanating those vibrations through our body, through our physiology, into our energy field. So every experience that we've ever had in the past is also held in the auric field. And that's why you, you maybe go into a place or you meet a person and you don't know them, but you just kind of energetically touch into them and you say, well, this feels really good. Or maybe this doesn't feel so good. Maybe I feel a sense of constriction or discomfort there, right? Because everything is energy and all energy communicates through light all around us all the time. So in essence, we are these walking miracles of light with the power and potential to transform our feeling experience, our, our thoughts and our belief systems, which completely shift not only our energy structure, but everything from our soul down to and through ourselves. So when you go for a Reiki session and somebody starts working within your energy field, they're not just touching your energy field because everything within you and around you is connected. So they're touching on parts of maybe your heart where you've carried uh, past heartache, right? Any sense of grief, of loss, of betrayal, loss of love, loss of loved ones is held within the energy field, is held within the heart chakra. And then being able to navigate through those areas and bring relief, bring lighter energy, bring consciousness, right? And when we bring consciousness to something, we're bringing our attention. Adora, tell our listeners about your book, Detox, Nourish, Activate. Sure. So Detox, Nourish, Activate, um, Plant and Vibrational Medicine for Energy, Mood, and Love, focuses on three primary systems of the body, um, energy, connected to the adrenal system, of course, love connected to the heart and cardiovascular system, and mood connecting to the brain and nervous system. But I think one thing that's very um, innovative in this book is that my co-author and I have outlined how we can heal trauma at the core level, at the DNA level. And there you'll notice the play on the detox, nourish, activate, DNA. So to be able to affect infinite healing, sustainable healing, quantum shifts in our consciousness and our physiological response to life and the stress that is around us every day is how we can go in and detox, let go of what no longer serves us, look at some of our fundamental habits, patterns, um, our, our cellular response to life, right? Are we cellular cellularly healthy? Are we emotionally healthy? What do we need to do to create that sustainable shift and elevation of life from our soul to ourselves? So in the detox phase, we're letting go, just like we have to, you know, imagine it in the very simplest form, your computer, right? Well, what happens when your computer gets full? You can't save any brilliant new data on there, right? You have to get rid of the old. And so the nourish feature of the book is how we can find ways of being that are more loving, 
right? We're with a deep focus on self-care, really having practice of self-love, self-compassion, self-forgiveness, because these are the energy constructs and connections to our consciousness that can limit us from living life to the fullness if we're holding on to unhealthy ways of caring for our beingness, right? Caring for our well-being, which is, of course, caring for our physiology, but so much more, right? Doing the things that whether it's reading uh, beautiful poetry, spending time in nature, proper hydration, nutrition, exercise, meditation, prayer, intentional practices, all nourish us deeply. And then we can activate the vital life force that is held within us to be able to embody and actualize our soul purpose, right? And that is truly where we experience fulfillment because you can have all the money in the world But if you don't have the satisfaction and fulfillment of your well-being, of your connection to your soul, right, and the ability to express your authenticity, your truth, your brilliance, your light, your magnificence in creative and honoring ways, um, then, you know, we're missing out. And so that activation piece is where we can say, I'm choosing to live my life at the height of my potential in every way possible, in my relationships, in how I care for myself, in my relationship to abundance and prosperity, in how I care for my family, my loved ones, in how I contribute to my community, and in ways that I can find to have the highest benevolent positive impact in the world around me before I leave this life. And once again, the book is Detox, Nourish, Activate, Plant and Vibrational Medicine for Energy, Mood and Love. If you'd like to learn more about Adora and her work, you can visit adorawinquist.com. Adora, thank you so much for joining us. Such a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Joan. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. What role does rhythm play in your day? Hi, I'm Allison Ayati. I'm a musician, sound practitioner, and the creator of The Sound Life, a lifestyle app for relaxation and meditation through sound and music. Most people think of rhythm as a tapping beat, but rhythm is much more than that. Your body is primed to respond to natural rhythmic cycles that optimize your physiological functions. An optimally functioning body helps you maintain a positive outlook on life. The reason most of us sleep at night and are awake during the day is due to circadian rhythms. Circadian rhythms are natural, 24-hour biological processes that help maintain physiological functions. For example, most people fall into their deepest sleep around 2 a.m. and between 2 and 4 a.m. have peak levels of lymphocytes circulating through their bodies. Lymphocytes are killer white blood cells that go to work cleaning house. A good night's sleep is a significant factor in a robust immune system. If you have trouble falling asleep, try unplugging from your devices around 9 p.m., which is when your body starts releasing melatonin to induce sleep. Establish a relaxation routine like sitting down in a comfortable chair, closing your eyes, and listening to soothing music. Feel your breath slow, your mind relax, and the day's tensions melt away. To learn more about sound healing and healing music, go to livingthesoundlife.com. Sound meditation is not a replacement for medical or psychological intervention. Have you ever thought about what would happen if you or your spouse couldn't work because of sickness or injury? Would your group benefits be enough? If you don't have any protection, how quickly would your savings last to pay for everyday bills and maintaining the life that you love? Hi, my name is Kate Toby, financial services professional with the Fortis Agency. I'm here to share some tips on what you should consider when looking into protecting your income. Many people don't realize how much their disability insurance policies will pay out in the event of an injury or illness. It is important to understand your policies, especially when you get a promotion or pay increase, to see if there are any new gaps in your coverage. 
It is also beneficial to know how long your benefits will last in the event you can't work because you are sick or hurt. This time frame can vary by months or years, depending on the plan that you have. If you have any questions about your current policies, speak to your financial advisor to see if the coverage is enough for your situation. For more information on disability insurance, send me an email at ktoby at thefortisagency.com. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. Thanks for staying with us. Our next guest, Esther Pippoli, helps families navigate life's difficult moments. She's the owner and founder of Loss of Life Advocates, also known as Lola. Her company provides confidential concierge grief support to families, business owners, and employers, helping them navigate the operational side of loss. She is here today to discuss the importance of gratitude in moving forward. Welcome, Esther. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So Esther, like so many people, you experienced a few challenges last year. Would you share with us a little bit about what happened and what did you learn during that time? You know, Joan, like so many families, I actually started last year with um, double pneumonia. And while they could never really tell me that I had COVID and it was related to that, um, I, I had the same symptoms as a lot of people that were suffering during that time. And it really, for the first time from being a widow, made me scared. Um, you know, when you go out into the world, you lose your spouse and you lose your, your parents and you realize that you're that person for your kids. You really want to be strong for everybody. But there was this moment last year that I realized it was okay for me to lean on my kids and to tell them I'm not okay. I'm not healthy. I, I need help. And I think so many times when we are sick and we have a life change or a diagnosis, um, it's important for us to be able to say to people that we care about and love that I need help. And that was really a big part of 2021 for me and knowing that I needed to give myself some grace and some time to just eat and be, be healthy and not, you know, get caught up in the fat of a diet or a workout regimen. Um, you know, I needed to be able to spend more time on my mental health and making sure that I was available to take care of other families. It's what I do for a living. And so going through having starting that way in the year and then going through um, having people that were referring clients that had had struggles with suicide. And I was working with families and I realized, wow, you know, there's so much grief going on and mental health awareness that we all need to be aware of. But most importantly, I started with me. Um, and I knew that if I couldn't start giving myself the grace and the time and just learning how to breathe again, um, to take those lessons and make sure that I am whole for other people, that um, it was not going to be a good situation. So I really am grateful that I have um, really good friends and family around me. I have a very small circle that were allowing me to just be me. And when I needed to take time to lay down, that I listened to my body. And that's so important because a lot of times when people are moving through challenges and a life-changing diagnosis or you know, long-term effects of COVID or any other illness like me with pneumonia, you have to respect your body. And all of that goes into your soul and your body and your spirit and how you deal with every day, one day at a time. So I always tell people, you know, when they start kind of have going through a challenge or a life change, give yourself some grace. It's okay to stop. It's okay to sit down. It's okay to take those deep breaths and move through what you're going through. Esther, in those moments of quiet, were you able then to see the blessings in your life more clearly? I was. And I think that that was one of the things that um, you start out as a widow. You just kind of start running this kind of marathon race. And it really did, in those moments of being quiet, being able to listen in to what was really important to me and really recognizing what was the one thing at the end of the day, of every day in the beginning and at the end of the day that was important to me. And that was my family. And I really started honing in on everything I do has to have some direct impact on my family so that it is good and it is healthy and it is well. And it was good. Yeah. I mean, those quiet moments are really good to start listening, but also start hearing the things that are scaring you. And that's okay to identify those and be able to say, I can work through these or I can access, you know, um, help from other professionals to help me. When you go through a loss and life doesn't turn out the way you planned, it's so easy to get caught up in that loss and all the what was supposed to be narrative that you've written for yourself. But, you know, as you're saying, when you're quiet and you learn to appreciate all that you have and see all that you have, it really does help with the healing process and it does help enable us to move forward. I hired a breathing coach last year. 
I literally looked for somebody that could work with me on breathing. And what I found was I was breathing from the top of my chest up and I wasn't going all the way down with my breath. So even those simple things of just paying attention to how you're breathing, you catch yourself, you know, learning how to take those deep breaths in and out in those moments of anxiety or just just being at peace is really important. Could you share something with us that you learned about the power of breath? Yes, that when you take a deep breath and you go all the way down, you let all of your air out and then you let it in a little at a time, you'd be surprised how clear you can see things, how, how clear you can hear things. Those deep breaths, even if you do four in a row of just simple laying down and breathing and letting all that air out, you're letting all of that anxiety, all of that energy that may be having a hard time getting out with those short breaths. But in that long breath, as you're, as you're breathing out and then you're breathing new energy in, you really start to feel that refreshment and that re- reinvigoration of, of just being happy in that second. Because breathing is so important to what we do. You know, every day we need it to survive. Um, and I laugh about it, but my breathing coach was like, Esther, for you and what you do and for so many people now that we're going through this pandemic, breathing and knowing how to take a deep breath when we start feeling anxious is so important. These are two things that we have complete control over. That is tapping into the power of breath and living a life of gratitude. So if you would like to learn more about Esther and her work, you can visit lossoflifeadvocates.com. Or as always, to hear more from Esther, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Esther. joining us, I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.